You're listening to The John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, dipietro.com. It's Monday. Folks, it looks like uh, the weather has definitely changed, so I don't think they're going to have such a, a problem. I don't think a problem with such the fires. Um, it was quite a busy weekend. It was a fatal shooting of a 15-year-old in Providence in Chad Brown. I'm going to have uh, sound of that a little bit later. I also want to take uh, note of the fact that... Um, Notice no one mentions, and it's not being insensitive, but this business that a 15-year-old is out at, I think it was 2.30, quarter or three in the morning. I mean, does that sound like a good idea to anyone? So we don't know what this individual young person was mixed up in. Uh, obviously, you know, now the investigation is going ongoing for whoever did this. It took a young life, but... A lot of the choices made by these young individuals, then they're young. They're not expected to to know the right thing to do and to make some bad choices. But the problem is they're paying for it. Uh, they're really paying for it with their lives. You also had the situation, you know, no one, again, really talks about it. But it was just about a month ago where you had the situation of the fatal, it was an ATV, a motorbike broad street in cranston and you had two passengers 21 year old uh was the driver and a 20 year old passenger and i believe the young man had just gotten the bike the night before didn't have a license for it i don't think it was registered and decides yeah we'll take it for a ride and both of them are riding no helmets uh witnesses say they were kind of weaving in and out of traffic a little bit and then there's no light on it and then whatever the speed got up to they ended up crashing again no helmets and they both lost their life so you just wonder if you have a, a young person that gets that type of um, vehicle in the case of that it's a motocross bike they're going to want to take it out right and they want to try it It'd be like if you if a young 18 year old got the keys to a, a vehicle that you know a sports car drives very fast uh, the temptation is there to not only use it, but then use it in a very aggressive manner. So <clears throat> the situation over the course of the weekend, immediately people just start saying, you know, it's these guns, we need to get the guns off the street. That's true. Uh, but I think you also have to look at limited, you want to limit your risk. You increase your chances of potentially running into a bad situation. You, you raise your risk level when you do that. Now, by the way, with the, when you um, ride on the highway at night, you increase your risk of something going wrong. When you're a young person and you're out at a very you know, late hour, early morning hours, you're certainly raising the risk level of, of maybe something happening. Now, also, there was a shooting in Woodsocket last night. We covered that. The video up uh, on Facebook, did a Facebook live stream that will be up on both YouTube and Petro.com. And, um, and folks, I, I just think that this is um, kind of a premonition of, of what is it's going to be like over the next few months. People are still off, seem, seemingly a lot of violent behavior out there. I think you have to uh, protect yourself and uh, also try to get young people to make better choices they're not expected to have all the answers that's where the adults come in and the adults have to try to help them out you're listening to the john DePietro show 
You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. Folks, joining us right now, he has been a voice, certainly speaking out during the course of the pandemic. Uh, it is Dr. Andrew Boston. And doctor, first of all, thank you for taking the time to uh, speak with us. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on was to talk about this very unique platform and event that's going to be happening at William Hall Library in Cranston uh, coming up soon. Uh, yes. So, so next, uh, next Thursday, April 20th, um, from basically five to about 7:45 PM, uh, I organized, uh, a, a panel, uh, examination of the COVID response and it's all John going to be very evidence-based. The, the, the evidence will come in different shapes and forms. I mean, I, I will go through the formal sort of raw data, observational studies, randomized trials that are, relevant to the COVID response in Rhode Island. But then the, 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 it's going to move more into um, sort of testimonials, also very important evidence. Um, uh, a very brave gastroenterologist, she's a full-time academic at Lifespan now, Colleen Kelly, uh, actually got in touch with me, and she wanted to give her eyewitness accounts of certain geriatric care issues she, she encountered during the pandemic. Then Rich Southwell, who, who I believe you, you've interviewed, John, is, yes. is uh, the main plaintiff in Southwell versus uh, McKee. He's going to give us an update on that uh, mask mandate uh, litigation. And by the way, uh, I, I, you may be aware, <laughs> Governor McKee just extended the uh, the COVID emergency That's right. uh, for for another month. So yeah. it's, these issues are still quite quite relevant, believe it or not. Although you know, thankfully, the public has kind of moved on. Um, Steve Scully, uh, the, the, the gifted oral surgeon, uh, uh, in the state who handles so much of the, so many of the very difficult cases in the state, um, people who can't arrive uh, other than on a stretcher for their emergent dental care. Uh, he was, uh, unfortunately shut down for five months, um, because he had had a vaccine injury in the past and he had natural immunity and he'll give his whole story. Uh, Rido shut him down. Um, uh, Brittany Diorio, who's a a special ed teacher from Barrington uh, is going to talk about her travails after she was fired for not getting vaccinated. Uh, Malcolm Nigerian is going to give the, he's the owner of Cafe Bonhomie. Sure. Malcolm, uh, who was also, by the way, I didn't know this, John, he was a, he was an All-America uh, uh, tailback at, uh, at Boston University. Oh, back yeah. In the day. No, he was a big time uh, football player. Yeah, so Malcolm Malcolm is going to give. He has some. He, as, if you know Malcolm, he, it's going to be anecdotal, uh, but but um, very humorous. His interactions with Rido about the regulations in, in his particular cafe, uh, and then you know, back on a very serious note, um, Greg Piccarelli will go over uh, all, at least give an overview of, of the main uh, cases that he's been. He, he, he's an attorney. The main cases, uh, COVID-related legal cases, he's become involved with in the state. Um, including a big one uh, that that will be argued before the Supreme Court um, this week uh, uh, about a a, a a vaccine dispute between between parents. A very unique case. That's uh, I think the first case of its kind that's coming to a state Supreme Court. Um, and he was also involved with the Southwell versus McKee litigation, the Barrington teachers. Um, he's had some involvement with Steve Scully's case. Um, so I think it'll be very interesting more extended discussion uh then rep chippendale uh who's my state rep uh, and, the, and the minority leader will give a quick overview of some bills that he's recently introduced pertaining to um COVID vaccination and then uh there'll be a discussion about uh how the media covered uh the um 
the the COVID uh, uh, response, et cetera, um, from the perspective of of alternative media. Pat Ford uh, of the Coalition and Mike Stenhouse of Ocean State Current will be speaking about that. And then we'll we hope to leave, you know, a good fifteen to twenty minutes, maybe longer, uh, before before they eject us from the space uh, for for questions and answers. Folks, again, we're speaking with Dr. Andrew Boston. And this event is coming up next week. It is free. It is open to the public. Doctor, do people need to register, or is it literally just no, show up and no, people just, just float in just and out? Just come in. Just yeah, just just walk in. I, uh, I I was there yesterday to do a trial run to see you know make sure the slides would work and the and the audio et cetera. Oh, so it, it might be live streamed. We're going to see. There seems to be good enough. Wi-Fi coverage, but that's that's always touch and go, as you know, John. You've had plenty of experience with that. I have. Um, it's a great <laughs> space, though. It's a great space. It is a beautiful space. Yep, it's, it's a beautiful great, library space. Great parking. But, but the doors will open at 545, so because we would like to get started promptly, if not exactly at 5 o'clock, as, as, as soon afterwards as possible to give people time. But I'm, I'm particularly interested in having people have the chance to, um, to ask questions at, at the end. But I will say, John, one of, one of the things that, you know, and... Um, one of the things that, that that I'm emphasizing here is how, you know, I will I will make a, you know a, an extended and you know somewhat dry presentation. It has to be that way sure. to really present the facts ob- objectively. Um, but but I think it's 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 all information that's in the pub- public domain, either raw data or or published studies. Uh, some of them in extremely you know respected peer-reviewed journals. That for whatever the reasons, John, and I, I don't really you know care to get into this. I made a little bit during the presentation. The, these these very hard data have not been given the amplification that they deserve, in, including very basic things. You know, one of the things I'm going to open up with is this um, oppressor that, that then Governor Raimondo gave on April 16th, uh, 2020, where she introduced it was, it was actually a nationally covered press conference um, on live on C-SPAN. Uh, and she laid out the the very recently composed models that were going to guide really all of our policies in the state uh, based on hospitalizations. Uh, and the fact that these models were so oh, egregiously off was never really challenged. Why was that? Who were the modelers? You know, how, how can we rely on them if, if models that are supposed to predict what's going to happen two to three weeks later are you know, uh, far, far off. And, and that in turn, you know, engenders all these um, really rather draconian measures. You know, we, we really need to start asking questions about that. And I guess that that would be the theme of this uh, of this event is that lay out the data and hopefully it'll serve as a basis for having um, some sort of um, analysis. Hopefully, I would think by a legislative body. Uh, of of the COVID response in 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 Rhode Island because there's a lot of questions that remain. Folks, again, we're speaking with Dr. Andrew Boston. Doctor, I'm just curious. You now, this is your personal opinion if you give it, but now here it is. It's April 2023. That was, of course, you know, it all really came crashing down in March of 20, and then into the spring. Uh, there were a lot of things that just basically didn't make sense at the time. But as you as you reflect. What were some of the things that at the time absolutely did not make sense to you? And then since then, you've been obviously proven right. Yeah, I I, I, I wasn't really sure about all the, the so-called non-pharmaceutical interventions, you know, before the vaccines were available. Um, 
and I became very dubious about them. First of all, the model really, the, the, the model that I'm going to elaborate on was, was really quite shocking to me because, you know, I, I understood if, if, if the model was issued, say, J January 16th, and then it really, it really didn't, it, it exploded by the time uh, it was forecasting outcomes at, at the end of April and the beginning of May. Oh, you could say, okay, you know, they really didn't know enough and, and the data, you know, were, were too long term to really make accurate predictions, you know, like weather forecasting breaks down after a couple of weeks, whatever. But these were models that were introduced, you know, and then, and were supposed to predict um, dates that were only two to two and a half weeks later. And that's really when I started becoming very skeptical about a lot of things that we were being told, both both locally and and uh, and nationally. And then, of course, um, you know, researching the literature, the pre-COVID literature on on masking, uh, on on flu vaccination, and the the really the lack of hard evidence that those kinds of of, of uh, either non-pharmaceutical or in the case of uh, flu vaccination, you know, pharmaceutical uh, or you know, vaccine interventions really had very, very limited effects, if any. Uh, and that was, you know, coming from as an epidemiologist and as a clinical trialist, but coming from a field where I, I for years I studied chronic kidney disease. Um, that was quite shocking to me. I mean, you know, maybe it was my own it was my own fault, my own ignorance for not keeping up you know, with this literature. Uh, but when I reviewed it, you know, very carefully extended, you know, hours, days, weeks, um, it became clear to me that, that um, okay, you could try these interventions, but they should never be mandated because they had a very flimsy basis. And, and that's, what be, that's what became increasingly of concern to me. I thought just, again, you know, from a layman's point of view, but right at the time when Governor Mundo banned, um, I'm going to shut down the beaches, felt too many people were going oh, to the God. beaches yeah. and then when they shut down the parks and even you know in in providence mayor lorza they were limiting and, and discouraging people from from going to parks where we look back being outside in sunshine was was probably you know we learned later that being outside actually should have been encouraged more Absolutely. and it was right and and that that was you know it did I, there was some parts of it that Nothing to do with how the state handled it, but people, you know, learn to work remotely. Business forever, I think, has changed. Um, I think it was good for a lot of the outdoor dining. But when you when we look back, um, that element of, of punishing people for being outside. I also thought, doctor, the notion of Governor Amundo, the way she aggressively went after people from New York who had summer homes in oh, Rhode Island outrageous. and yeah, tracking them down. Um, right. that is like that something outrageous. out of a, out of a novel of like, you can't believe and mayor lawyers are encouraging citizens to turn on citizens. Now, doctor, and again, folks, we'll speak with Dr. Andrew Boston, doctor, I am curious if you could touch on, we're not getting a lot of play in the media right now on the uh, Nagel versus Nagel Rhode Island Supreme court hearing. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so let me just give you an, an overview. It, okay. It's uh, it, it's an unfortunate, you know, dispute between divorced parents about the vaccination of their uh, five and eight year old daughters. Um, the daughters have both had COVID. Uh, the the first time they had COVID, they had very mild symptoms. The second time, at least one of the daughters was t tested positive. The other might very well have had it as, as well. But regardless, John, they were they were both asymptomatic, completely asymptomatic. Um, and here we are at this late date 
when, if you look at the seroprevalence data for kids in the state of Rhode Island, so in other words, they're, they're, they're detectable uh, antibodies to, to natural, uh, natural infection by SARS-CoV-2, something called the nucleocapsid antibodies. CDC, the last time they surveilled the state was at the end of last year. Uh, essentially 100% of kids in the state have been infected, um, regardless of whatever vaccinations they may or may not have taken. Um, and we now know that that uh, there's enough published evidence. There was a recent meta-analysis in The Lancet. There was a large study in the New England Journal just of kids in this age range, 5 to 11 years old, actually, from North Carolina, but almost 900,000 kids. We know we know now that... that um, naturally acquired immunity confers a more robust and enduring immunity than vaccine acquired. And, and, and so it, it doesn't make sense, um, uh, medically, um, uh, in terms of the law, I'm, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but, but there was an agreement between the parents that, um, if they had a disagreement over some form of, uh, medical investigation or therapy, um, and and the the parent objecting made quote you know a reasonable objection that it wouldn't go forward. And so in the lower court, uh, the fa- the family judge a- acknowledged the agreement, acknowledged the fact that the father was not making an un- un- you know an unreasonable uh, request that the kids not be vaccinated. You know, given the evidence that was presented to that lower court. Um, and yet decided that it was, quote, still in the best interest of the children to get vaccinated. And so as a layman, you know, I don't understand that. And I think that may be the reason that the Supreme Court even decided to take this case, because maybe they have some questions about, you know, overriding uh, a, a, um, a divorce agreement like that. So I, I, I but be that as it may, it will be it will be heard. Uh, there was an, an amicus brief uh, that that was put in by 74 allied health professionals, and um, uh, including former president of the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, a former head uh, who was a pediatric changed, uh, trained um, uh, uh, investigator who was former head of the American Heart Association. Unfortunately, John, I can I can tell you that that the uh, the court has opted for whatever its reasons they don't have to give one not to consider that brief. But now you know they they may reconsider that brief if they, if this goes to a full you know full hearing. This is this is more or less a, a preliminary kind of hearing before the Supreme Court. So they have three options: they can they can reverse the decision, uh, they can you know reinforce the decision of the lower court, or they can opt for more extended arguments. Uh, and and regardless, you know that won't be decided immediately for the public to know on Thursday. That'll probably take about a month uh, from from this hearing that's coming up. Folks, again, we're speaking with Dr. Andrew Boston. The event is coming up next week. It's at William Hall Library. Doctor, just before I let you go, I think. I, something that also is not being covered and it's it's some of the you know the effects still of covid and, and what i mean by that is now governor mckee has made it clear rhode island in his mind will be the last state to take any type of federal covid money there was unbelievable amounts of fraud with the ppp money but something else that's happening right now is during the course of covid as people may or may not but they they couldn't be evicted so there was an inclination not to pay the rent that was not only bad for landlords but it was also bad for the tenant landlord relationship now ebt cards were boosted up they felt okay people need some extra but look at the effects now that since number one you can be evicted and number two they've cut down with the amount into the ebt cards look at the amount of homeless look at the amount of people camping outside look at 
the incredible amounts of crime that are taking place right now, it's as if, you know, it's like a patient that you get hooked on a medication and then it's total withdrawal and, and, and everyone is basically, you know, dealing with the after effects of this. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think it's, it's amplified by the, uh, by the, by the, by the conditioning of, of, uh, of, of, of fear and dependency, John, right. you know, it, 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 it real, that's Those are really the things that, that, that created this situation. I mean, you know, the, the, whatever criticisms people have of, of, of former president Trump, um, until the pandemic, you know, the, the economy was, was, was in a very healthy state, yep. um, particularly for minorities, uh, minorities were, you know, again, it's, it's, it's one of these ironies, you know, the, 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 all the vitriol directed at Trump about his alleged racism, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact is that economically minorities were doing better under Trump than they, than they had for decades, uh, uh particularly the African-American community. And, and so, you know, you, you, the, 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 again, one of the downsides of these kind of draconian policies policies, which I really firmly believe now were unnecessary. And by the way, John, they ran counter to all the epidemiology through the end of 2019. Yeah. This is unique. What we did was unique, and now we see was actually quite devastating. And that is one of the things that I'm going to be discussing um, at this at this um, at this at this conference. Uh, you know, we had a great uh, Johns Hopkins dean uh, uh, he was an MD uh, uh, and with a with a public health background as well. Um, Donald Henderson, uh, Dr. Henderson, um, shortly before he passed away, wrote a long review. He was a senior author on, you know, pandemic responses, and, he, and they were focused on flu in the years, say, between 2000 and and, and shortly thereafter. Um, but everything that we did, he argued against. Uh, he said it was too disruptive to society. The the benefits were very very small, if if at all, and the downside was was catastrophic potentially uh he, he argued for keeping society running as smoothly and normally as as possible and not to segregate the well and not to close schools you know he pointed out that yes it's true that you know in some polio outbreaks occasionally schools were closed for a couple of weeks but he, he argued no longer than that um just maintain normalcy as much as possible these 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 waves come and go and there's not very much you know we can do about it if you if you can come up with a with an effective vaccine so be it um he wasn't terribly optimistic about that given the experience with flu um he was very down on masking but he was particularly down on segregating the well which is yeah. which is what we did because he felt it was too disruptive uh, to to society and and i think i think you know he his 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 wisdom was borne out. And, and and on top of that, I guess he had a sobering perspective. He was, after all, the, the he spearheaded the movement that eradicated endemic smallpox. You know, and smallpox is, you know, just orders and orders of magnitude more deadly than either coronavirus or flu. Sure. And and so he, he was he was he understood when you apply, you know, mass vaccination and case detection uh, and when you don't. You know, and and so that was I think that that also colored his perspective. Folks, again, it's next Thursday. We'll uh, give another plug to it next week. Dr. Andrew Boston, Dr. Excellent work. Look forward to the forum and we'll talk to you again. Take care, John. Thank you very much for, 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 for doing this. Thank you. Right now from Ameriprise Financial is our friend Tom Bryan. Good afternoon, Tom Bryan. John, how are you? <laughs> doing very well. Now, Tommy, if you'd be so kind. Since you are a financial expert and you deal with this type of thing all day and you deal with various questions, if you would be so kind as to just touch on with our 
our viewers and listeners of exactly the role of the Fed, Federal Reserve, and how they operate. Well, it's interesting, John. I mean, we, we're in a period now um, in, in terms of interest rate increases that we haven't seen since the early 80s. Um, the Federal Reserve is designed to kind of keep inflation intact. Um, and obviously, we're in, a, in a, a really large inflationary period that, again, we haven't seen since the early 80s. But what's been happening now is uh, it's, there's a lot of noise out there, and the Fed has almost become politicized. And it shouldn't. I mean, it was it was created in 1913, and the entire idea was to have it separate from any sort of uh, political environment or political pressures. Uh, but what we're seeing recently, and I think a lot of it has to do with the media, uh, because people are concerned about inflation and people are concerned about rates that are increasing so much. We're seeing these politicians jump in and, and acting like they almost have a voice and they have a right to pressure the Fed. And, and that's not how uh, or why the Fed was put into place. Um, so unfortunately, we're in an environment now where there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of, um, like I said, a lot of pressures uh, on Powell to make decisions um, from a political standpoint. And, and that's not how it was designed. Uh, unfortunately, people are feeling the ramifications uh, of these increasing rates, not only from a lending standpoint, but if you're in an allocation where you're invested in certain instruments, uh, you know, bond prices, bonds typically have been, you know, historically a safe haven uh, when stocks or equities get hit. We have a bad stock market. Bonds are supposed to protect you, but the only time where bonds really get hit is when we have a, a period of rapid rate increases, and that's what we're seeing. So, um, the, it's laughable that McKee thinks he has some sort of influence on Ramondo, and it's laughable to think that Ramondo, even though she's a cabinet <laughs> person, has any sort of pull over Powell. Like the whole thing is is laughable, really. Um, but that, I mean, that, that's just that's just not the way. It, I mean, whether whether you're a Wall Street firm or you're the president of the United States, it's it's my understanding. It's designed not be influenced politically. And and I know this there's a longer, more larger, longer explanation for this, but part of it is because of the pandemic, there was so much money flying into the economy. And that's why housing prices took off. And people would say, my God, you know, my neighbor they doubled the price that they bought their house for by selling it. And everyone's buying all these things, but they have to reel it back in. And one of the ways they do that is you just you 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 can't have all this money floating out there. Yeah, and it's moronic to think that this wasn't going to happen. Uh, they flooded the marketplace with cash, and then they're shocked that we had an inflationary period. I mean, we look, just the supply chain issues coming out of China, coming out of Taiwan. I mean, that, COVID had a lot to do with it. And then basically, we, I think we almost tried socialism. I think that's what they were trying to do. Let's just give everyone money, stay home, and uh, we're going to have a period like that. I go back. I wasn't alive for it, um, but... 1973-74, we had a huge recessionary period in this country. And what the government did is try to spend their way out of it, and the Fed kept rates artificially low. And then what we saw happen was all of a sudden the caps came off, and boom. If you could get a mortgage in, in 1982 for 13%, 14%, you were doing pretty good. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's the reality of it. And people get excited now because they're like, oh, look, at, I made a CD for 5 or 6%, but... 
you know, when the cost of living is humming at seven percent, eight percent, you're losing purchasing power. So, I think it's uh, I think it's short term. The Fed's backed off a little bit. They only raised uh, rates by twenty five basis points this last period. Um, but the the big concern is wages aren't going anywhere. So I don't think uh, inflation is going to go anywhere. I think we'll see some volatility between now and certainly the end of the summer. Folks, again, we're speaking with Tom Bryan, Ameriprise Financial. You hear me talk about him. You can call, get this wisdom in person, 401-434-1510. Tom Bryan, I want to just, uh, Tommy, if you don't mind, just stay, though, with, and, and I know I know, I sound critical of Governor McKee, and, and, and be just because of what he was putting forth to the media, and maybe it wasn't fully a baked idea, but this business of, you know, the Fed is bringing pain, and, and the Fed is, they want people unemployed. Now, Tom Bryan, what I hear from so many small business people is they, the past few years now, and hopefully it's going to change, but they'd, they'd put a help wanted sign or just, you know, list a position that's open, and maybe, maybe five people would go for it. Uh, there was so many people that, they used to have a second job, but because there was so much money flooding in during the pandemic, they didn't need that second job. So despite what Governor McKee may think of, like, wow, the Fed wants people out of work. That that's not that's not the way that I view it. It's it's if you're a small if you're a business owner, you need people that are available and actively looking for work. Yeah, you see it. You see it everywhere, John. Um, there's so many restaurants. There's so many small yes. businesses that that need help. But unfortunately, people with these extended unemployment benefits, they get paid more to sit at home. Right. Um, and, and that's you know that's not good. That's socialism, and and, and it's not uh, how how this country is based. No. Uh, you know, it, it's um, yeah, it's 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 certainly a, a, an interesting time, um, but. I think we'll get through it. What are you telling your clients and people, Tom Bryan, right now? For instance, what about someone that maybe, and you know, and I recognize it's tough. They, they're thinking of, they'd like to buy a home, but a lot of people right now, I mean, that's, they're, they're not selling the homes. The biggest problem is people don't have a place to go in certain parts of the country you know, you read the real estate section of the Wall Street Journal. I mean, people have been, if you bought property in Miami in 2017, 2019, people are flipping huge properties at huge profits. But what what are you seeing, Tom Bryan, right now for people as far as how some of their plans have been changed? Yeah, um, <clears throat> if we're talking specifically real estate, I mean, obviously, I think a lot in Rhode Island and desirable areas, there's an inventory issue. There's not a lot of inventory out there. Uh, and the other pressures is if people looked, you know, two years ago, what they could afford through their cash flow is significantly different now because of the rate environment. But historically, rates aren't that high. Um, it's just been a shock all at once. So you can get a mortgage at six and a half, seven percent. There's always an opportunity to refinance. Sure. I think the biggest thing is uh, the inventory right now. I, I really do, particularly in this area. Yeah. Um, people's how has it changed from a planning standpoint? I'm not sure um, that it's changed all that much for someone that's going to downsize or go to a second home. Or I think it's really put a hurt on people that are trying to get into the market uh, to to buy a first home right. and to try to come up with a down payment. That, yeah. That's really been tough. But at the same time, you look at people that are renting properties. I mean. 
if you get a two bedroom for, for $1,500, $2,000, and that's pretty good. And then you compare that to a mortgage payment. I, I, it's just tough, I think, um, for first time home buyers right now. But if you equate it to renting, it's not all that much of a difference from a, from a payment standpoint. Tommy, what about some of the clients you may have? Or, and this is something that people have a problem with. They retired, uh, mm-hmm. they, they, maybe they're still in good health. Right. Maybe they're even, you know, in the 60s, whatever. But but now they're finding that because of the cost of inflation and they're on a fixed income, it's not going as far as maybe they thought it would. Um, what, what about do you have clients and talk to people who are retired, but then thinking maybe I, I will pick up a job again to get some more extra added needed income? Yeah, I mean, certainly, I mean, you go to the grocery store and holy mackerel, right? Yeah. Like prices are through the roof. Um, from from a retirement standpoint, that I when I have clients that are retired, they're certainly feeling the effects of it. Uh, we, we put portfolios together that uh, try to protect against inflation. When we, look, when we look at a portfolio and most people think, okay, if I'm conservative, I'm more in the bond sector. If I'm aggressive and I have time, I'm more allocated to stocks. Last year was a perfect storm uh, and because the bonds are supposed to protect you in a down market. Uh, the only time they obviously get hit is when you have a period of increasing interest rates. Um, so certainly people have, have taken a hit. But how I like to do it is I always chop out a portion and put it into a bucket where, okay, this will cover 12 months of expenses, your essential expenses right now. Um, and, and we I always bake in a 2.6% inflation rate. So I anticipate that cost of goods will go up 2.6% annually. Obviously, we're looking at 7 or 8% this year. But from a planning standpoint, for my clients, it hasn't really affected them all that much because we plan for the unexpected. Um, so we, we do have other buckets that are earmarked for unexpected ex- expenses. And certainly we didn't anticipate inflation like this. We knew it was going to happen somewhat. Um, but this has been this has been a unique period of time. So from a standpoint of clients going back to work, no, not, not on my end because, you know, they're allocated in a specific way. Uh, but I think I, if you look around the landscape, there, there's a lot of people that, this has really hurt them. This yeah. is this has hurt them. Um, you know, when you're saying, okay, I got 500 bucks a month come in or 1500 a month, and then all of a sudden, that's not getting me as far as it did last year. It's it's hard, and I feel not only for retirees. What I worry about is people that have a family. You know, right. if you got three or four kids, all of a sudden, I mean, geez, it's. It, it, it's uh, yeah, it's a stressful time. It's a stressful time, but not a period that we haven't seen before. And I'm confident we'll get through it. Two more quick questions, folks. Again, it's Tom Bryan, Ameriprise Financial. I'm going to tell you in a moment how you could call, be able to sit in his office and talk to him. Tom, what about? And I've talked about it. The Boston Globe has had these stories on this Dr. Mata, a local guy who came out with this crypto and seemingly. Um, a lot of people and, and a lot of our followers on the page, the, either them or their brother-in-law got involved or various people. And yep. is that something that people come to you and ask you about this cryptocurrency? They're hearing about it. Someone was telling me I invested 5000 At one point it was worth 700000 I couldn't take the money out and now it doesn't seem to be worth anything. Yeah, so so – you know, crypto has been obviously a hot topic for, for a while, but if we look at it fundamentally, it, it's an unregulated commodity. So, so there's nothing backing it. 
Um, everyone, you know, everyone has an idea. Well, I want to get rich quick. I want to invest in something that's going to pop. You know, I mean, who wouldn't want that? Uh, but but these are things that you know the SEC, Finner has looked at and said, hey, you know, there's nothing backing it. It's an unregulated currency and and something that that, that you shouldn't touch. So so if you if, if a client comes to me and says, hey, uh, you know, how about this crypto deal? What I do is make sure all your buckets are fully funded from A, if it's a retirement standpoint, B, if you have kids that want to go to, 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 to college and you want to fund their education, C, if you, if you want to be, you know, protected from living a long, long time. Like what happens if all of a sudden you live till 95? I would like to live to 95. Right. But, you know, it, it's expensive. Um, so if you have all your buckets full, and sure, you can speculate on the side, but crypto would be an area that I wouldn't touch. I'd rather go to Twin River and put it on red or something. Right. You know, it's certainly not a, a, a bucket um, to invest in as a stable investment choice. Now, Tom Bryan, one, uh, two more quick questions. One, if someone calls 401 this is one. This is one more. You said two. The last I know. One more. I, two more <laughs> questions. One, if someone calls you at 434-1510. And they want to come yeah. in and talk to you. How much time should they, you know, expect? And what should they expect from the conversation and chance to sit in your office and meet with you? I mean, you've, I've sat with you, John. It's, it's um, you know, you call, talk to Francesca and, and set up an appointment with me. And you just come in and, and we'll talk about things. And certainly if I can help, I'll let you know I can help and we can move forward with the plan. If I think that it's not a good fit and I can't help, then, then maybe I'll guide you in a different direction or, or just let you know that. But it's very casual. But basically what comes in, we do some data gathering and we say, OK, what's your overall picture look like? And what are your short term and long term goals? Um, and then we, we go from there. Long term care coverage. That's a big concern right now. I hear that all the time from people. <laughs> Parents, someone is, uh, has to go in and suddenly they don't realize how expensive it is. Well, in my experience, my dad started the practice in 1973, um, and and we've had a lot of clients where we put together these perfect retirement plans from a cash flow standpoint, and we do hedge against inflation like we've talked about. But particularly in a spousal situation, what happens if one of the two of you gets sick and retire and requires some sort of care, whether it be in-home care, assisted living, nursing home, uh, it can really, really uh, throw throw the plan off kilter because a lot of people think that their health insurance will cover it or Medicare will cover it. That's not the reality. If you have assets and you have to go to assisted living or nursing home, you're talking in Rhode Island upwards of nine to $10,000 a month. Right. So can you imagine if, if you're sick and you need nursing home care, oh. And you have a spouse at home. Well, those assets are, are, are liquid and are going to be used to pay for the care. So there are ways to protect it. Uh, there, there, the long-term care insurance was, wasn't around until the early '90s, uh, and there's only two carriers that still provide it. And, and the reason is, is because healthcare is inflated so much. Uh, people are living longer and longer. So the insurance companies don't want to provide it anymore because they're paying so much out in claims. Uh, but if we have the opportunity now to grab it and to, and to put these plans in place while it's still available, in my opinion, it's a no-brainer. It's it's just as important, if not more important, uh, when it comes to like an investment allocation. Okay, well, I made 8% last year. Well, good for you. You have this huge exposure if something happens to you where you require care. Right. So- 
Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. You've heard me talk about there's a new news source, Rhode Island Current. And joining us right now, she is the Rhode Island Editor-in-Chief, and it is Janine Wiseman. Janine, first of all, uh, good morning, uh, and thank you again for taking the time to talk to us. Tell us a little bit about the Rhode Island Current. Hi, John. Good morning. Thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate the opportunity to tell your listeners about Rhode Island Current. So we are an independent, nonprofit news outlet, and we are the 33rd state capital news outlet that is part of the network uh, run by the National Nonprofit States Newsroom. And talk, if you don't mind, just touch on how, you know, how did this come about and what's the main focal point of the Rhode Island operation? Well, our focus is public policy and state government, and so we are headquartered in Providence, and so we are keeping an eye on what's happening at the state house, but also paying attention as best we can, you know, with our resources, we're a staff, one editor-in-chief and three reporters, but paying attention to state agencies and what's going on at that level, um, it's certainly always an interesting time, you know, uh, we're in budget season, Um Lots going on. The governor visiting Newport yesterday for the education initiative he's announcing. Um, There's just a lot happening all the time. Some of the stories right now, and I want people to remember now, it's it's RhodeIslandCurrent.com. It's online. It's an online news source. Uh, All social media. It's also on, I know I've seen it on the Facebook page and also on Twitter. But I love how, I mean, there's a lot of content here, Janine, starting with, Nancy Lavin, Influential Legislative Panel, returns from hibernation. That, of course, is JCLS. Nancy Lavin, is she dedicated to the State House, or how does it? She um, seems to have a lot of great stories um, about the Rhode Island State House. Nancy certainly does. She came to us from Providence Business News, has a background in finance and uh, covering the financial. Um, area just doing super work for us. Um, I would say she's dedicated to journalism in particular, not just the state house. Um, she's certainly just out in front. And uh, a little caveat: I think she was covering the uh, the Pawtucket Redevelopment Agency. Recall when they met to, for their first meeting since the news broke about the bonds not getting financed yet for the Tidewater Landing. And she's standing there in a group of men. And uh, I think the chairman of the agency comes out and goes gentlemen like you know and she's standing right there so wow. we're, we're definitely trying to change the narrative here and be like hello we have a much more diverse uh, reporter workforce than that so yeah now folks also yeah. um there's different categories and I, I have talked to janine in the past and one of the things i like is the different categories that rhode island current covers now granted you know there's various stories that come about but mostly the focus is seemingly on education, energy, environment, healthcare, transportation, politics, and justice. I know that you've told me housing is something else that the Rhode Island Current's going to focus on. Oh, yeah, that is a big issue this year. I mean, right from the beginning of the year with these encampments that were outside the state house, right, that the governor was yep. struggling to deal with. Um, housing really spans a lot of those categories, certainly transportation, the economy, um, you know, energy as well. Nancy Levin in particular has been uh, diving into energy bills. And sometimes she's the only reporter covering the hearings that are taking place at the PUC. Janine, how is this, just your personal experience, how is this different from working, covering stories for the Newport Daily News? Well, 
Well, um, my career at the Daily News spans 25 years. So I started, you know, with the traditional newspaper. You know, in 1994, you could go in the pre-press room and actually see the slats, you know. Wow. I mean, they were just ending the X-Acto knife and the, the wax, right, to lay out the paper before they moved into, you know, software and stuff. So, you know, I saw the traditional route, right? But by the time I left there, it was entirely, almost entirely, it seemed like online, you know, that... Um, you were posting, I was a senior digital editor then. So, yep. you know, you really did take that dive into, this is a 24 seven kind of thing now where we're posting, you really have to post every hour to have something so that there is that round the clock of content coming through. And Janine, I'm also, um, just your, the Rhode Island current independent nonprofit news outlet covering state government and the impact of public policy decisions in the ocean state, if you would just touch on that, because I think that's something that is not explored enough or enough of a focus of a lot of the, just as we say, the public policy decisions can have tremendous repercussions and impact around the state, yeah. so much that people don't even fully recognize it. Well, you know what? I think you bring up a good point is when you hear the phrase public policy, you're like, what is that? You know, what does it mean to you, John? Like <laughs> everything you do. Think about it, though. The lunch you're going to eat and where you're going to eat it <laughs> is probably impacted by public policy decisions, right? Um, I, You know, if you're asking me personally, I mean, a good thing that just comes to mind to me was there was a time when it was uh, Mayor Cicilline and also Mayor Angel Tavares. They didn't allow loitering in downtown Providence. They would tell they'd have the police tell people to move along. Mayor Alorza relaxed that and thus now. You have that led to that that public policy decision of no longer to enforce uh, loitering. You see the increase in homeless people wandering around. You see the increase in panhandling. A lot of people may not realize or see where that came from. But mm -hmm. for better or worse, you know, that was a public policy decision made by, by administration. To me, that's I just mentioned that because it's a strong visual and a lot of people, it's not their imagination. If you go back to when Buddy Cianci was the mayor, they, they wouldn't allow someone to lay on a park bench or things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's so. true, but there's one indication where this was a multitude of public policy decisions yes. going back decades when yes. you think about it. Yep. So it's not just a short-term loitering thing but no there were there was a reason why people had nowhere to go yes that's why they were loitering yeah. right now, <laughs> you folks, know, so. again folks it's uh janine wiseman and she is the editor-in-chief for the rhode island current and janine i am um that the right now the rhode island current and why don't you just give what are the best places that people can access uh the rhode island current why their phone or their computer basically we are online at rhodeislandcurrent.com you spell out rhode island um but the best thing you can do is sign up for our morning newsletter and that way you'll get an email with the direct links that go to the top stories of the day yeah, and the newsletter is called swell so we're we're getting more subscribers every day but i'm, I'm trying to reach our thousand our first one thousand and i'm not there yet <laughs> we're getting there i do get your uh daily email and it's terrific Thank today you, was yep one hour a week be an expert in ten thousand weeks what i like about it and i push this with people is it gives me all the links to all the stories that the rhode island current is uh is covering in and, and i just something that stood out to me was how in depth 
uh, the the stories are. You've been, I think, breaking stories of anything, just going more in depth with certain stories. And I'm going to give a good example, and that is that the Rhode Island College try to, you know, the, the idea to maybe go two extra years. I think that was the first time I read it. You certainly were ahead of the curve on the Tidewater landing. And also on, I think, East Providence and the mayor saying that maybe he would host the soccer games there. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that was the first place that I read it. Well, thank you. And I mean, that's not to say there's not great work that's also happening, you know, across the, the Rhode Island Press Corps. Um, the Tidewater water landing issue became a top news story because of the great work by Eli Sherman at Channel 12, right? So, um, but it's that follow, staying on these these stories and seeing what impact they're having, asking questions and trying to follow the threads of those questions. That's what Nancy did in talking to the mayor of East Providence. You know, where else could this soccer team play if they lost their Pawtucket venue when they want to start their season next year, right? Um so, yeah, um, it's it's just following the stories and staying on them. The Rhode Island College thing was in particularly a great piece, and that was, again, Nancy following through with that. Yep. Um, and, and even then you saw that she was asking the questions at URI as well. How yes. come they weren't part of this? That's right. <laughs> you know, there's, there's more to do there, you know, just in terms of budgets and level funding, even cutting budgets, um, at our higher education institutions, they they just need a lot more attention than they're getting. Folks, again, it is Rhode Island, the Rhode Island Current, and they're right online. She is the Rhode Island Editor-in-Chief, Janine Weisman. And folks, again, you can check them out at RhodeIslandCurrent.com. Janine, I mean it. Um, congratulations. Good luck, and we're going to talk to you again. I really like the work, very impressive journalistic work that I'm seeing. Well, thank you so much, John. I really appreciate that. And yes, I hope we'll talk again. The Coesed Inn, 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick, Rhode Island tradition since 1977. Delicious food, great atmosphere, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge. They can also accommodate large groups. A great meal, a feast is waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Stop it and see them. All year round, 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. They're waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Get your driveway paved. J. Perry Paving. Letter J. J. Perry Paving. High quality, fair pricing, exceptional service. Over 25 years experience specialized commercial paving, residential paving, seal coating, Call for a free estimate today, 401-732-1730. J. Perry Paving. Hey, learn about the benefits of asphalt paving, whether it's a brand new paving project or a cracked driveway. It's affordable, smooth, safe to drive on, aesthetically appealing. Asphalt can be recycled, reused. J. Perry Paving, a licensed and insured contracting company committed to meeting your needs, no matter how big, how small? Contact them today for a free quote, 401-732-1730. What a difference it makes for your driveway, for your business, parking lot. J, letter J, J Perry Paving, 401-732-1730. Online at jperrypaving.com and look for them on Facebook.
This portion of the John DePietro Show, it's brought to you by Lawn Doctor, your best lawn ever guaranteed. And I can tell you with my own experience what a fantastic job they did and have done with my lawn. The easiest thing to do is log on to their website. It's LawnDoctor.com. LawnDoctor.com. Put in your zip code, your best lawn ever guaranteed it's lawn doctor of rhode island you can call them 401-392-1025 but log on to their website lawndoctor.com this portion of the john DePietro show it's brought to you by lawn doctor your best lawn ever guaranteed and i can tell you with my own experience what a fantastic job they did and have done with my lawn the easiest thing to do is log on to their website it's lawndoctor.com lawndoctor.com put in your zip code your best lawn ever guaranteed it's lawn doctor of rhode island you can call them 401-392-1025 but log on to their website lawndoctor.com